Hey there, this is Ross from The Great Updraft and today we're going to be talking about spiral dynamics. We're going to look at an introduction to the model and discussing the eight or nine stages that the model proposes. So just a little brief overview of spiral dynamics. What spiral dynamics proposes are levels of evolution in human beings in, from what I see, three main areas. Now, Many authorities in the field say it's only in one area of human growth, which would be values. I actually don't agree. I think it talks about much more than values. I think it covers three main areas, which would be values, worldview and psychology. Regardless of what the areas are, this theory is really powerful for understanding yourself, for understanding the world around you and for understanding other people. And it can have many effects studying this theory. One is that you just feel more friendly to yourself and to the world around you. You also gain a deeper sense of trust in the process of evolution because what we'll realize is that these levels go back thousands of years and we've, as a human species and as individuals in our individual lives, we've been developing through these stages forever. And when you look at the higher stages, we realize, oh, this is actually the future of humanity. So this is very powerful stuff. There's several ways to look at these levels. Now, in a sort of simplified way, we can imagine them as being a person or a character who embodies each level 100%. So often people say, oh yeah, Green is like this, or orange is like, that, like this. These are, the colors aren't labels for the, the levels. We're sort of speaking about them as if it's a person, or as if someone can 100% embody that level, which can be useful just to understand the theory. It's not really very accurate, but it's a good way of understanding it. We can also see them as like a scale of different capacities or as a scale of evolution each of which, each level in, in that scale contributes to our wholeness and our integration. And as I said, the first way is, is just seeing them as people, as seeing them as like individual <laughs> people that embody those traits. It helps us understand the theory, helps us understand each of the levels. But in reality, the second way is much more accurate. We actually... Humans don't just jump from one level to the next. Really, it's a, it's a process of ascension. Um, and it's a process of downloading these ever higher capacities as a human being. And really, when you look back at your own life and you look at how you operate day to day, the second way is really much more accurate, really much more accurate description of how things work. I've got plenty of articles explaining each stage in depth and they're all free. And I'm going to have suggested videos for you during the course of this, but we're going to sub sum up each of the levels in broad terms in this video. Before we do that, I just want to give some warnings here. So, on the whole, people tend to misinterpret and or oversimplify this model. So, first of all, I think it's really important to notice that the model is an, ex an expanding spiral. If you've read the Spiral Dynamics book, the, the, you know, the, the famous book that where the original theory is, the, the picture on the front is a spiral. It's not a series of steps or jumps, stepping stones. What the spiral is telling us is that really growth is a process of ascension in which the earlier levels, they may fade and go underground and even be can become shadow. That's another thing that can happen. But they're still alive and well within us. They're still fundamental to our functioning and the higher levels sit on top of them. That's why it's expanding because the higher levels come after, but they also include the lower levels. So think of them more like the layers of an onion. Like, the core of the onion is essential to all the other levels. Without the core, the, 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 
the higher or the, the outer levels on the outside, they couldn't exist because we need the whole onion to, to exist for those layers to, to be there. So when thinking about your growth, the growth of society, the growth of other people, think of it as an onion, as a series of expanding steps that build on, on top of each other. And that's a much more realistic way of viewing things. Some people think that they are just a series of steps, like I'm going to jump to the next level and I'll leave that behind and I need to repress everything that came before. That's not really going to do you much good if you think like that. My next warning is a warning against over-idealizing the higher levels. So especially if we're into personal development, that's what the great updraft is about. And really a lot of the material that I write about is focus towards more of the higher levels really we often want to run up these levels where we want to become bigger and greater and stronger and whatever and that's that is a legitimate part of growth as long as it's healthy it's not like a a needy desperate attempt to, to grow when it's really not appropriate it's legitimate to want to grow but it's not legitimate to try and push away the earlier levels inside us and to deny them and repress them. Actually, what we want to do is we want to integrate as much as possible. So we want to try and become all the levels as much as we can when it's functional and be able to embody those levels whenever we want to. I'd also say as a warning that it's easy to, to bullshit yourself, basically. What do I mean by this? When you learn this theory, you're going to realize parts of yourself from all these different levels. And you might realize parts of yourself from the higher levels like yellow, turquoise, even coral perhaps. It's easy to cling to those parts of yourself and to create this identity around being yellow or being turquoise. And it's really quite, in a way it's kind of ridiculous. Um, because you're not just one of these levels, you're all of the levels contained in, all contained in one. And really the more identified you are with being a certain level, the less flexible you're gonna be and the less able you are to embody all the levels when you need to. Each level contributes something really important to our lives and it's something really unavoidable as a human being. So don't create this sort of egoic identity around being at a certain level because it's really just going to have the opposite effect to what you might think it has. We're about to talk about the stage use, so just as a final thing, as we're discussing these, I want you to really look and see how this describes your developmental journey and also look for your current self in these different stages. I also want you to really think about the importance of each level, like the paradigm shift that each later level brings, for example. These levels are very deep and they, they illuminate a lot about human life that you've maybe not realized before or that you've realized before and you've never had a framework for understanding. So let's go into each of the levels now and we're gonna talk about the worldview, the values, the psychology, the context, the footprints, and what a healthy integration might look like in a modern individual. By context, I mean, where do we expect to see this stage in the world? And by footprints, I mean, what's, what are the sort of telltale signs of this stage being active? Some of which are kind of tongue in cheek, some of which are tongue in cheek, but are actually really true and really visible when you look for them. Great, let's start with the first stage in the model, which is stage beige, and this is called survivalistic. The, the worldview at this level is that the world is one with our basic needs and that other people around us serve our basic needs. It's called survivalistic because really at this level, if we are centered there, life really becomes about survival from, from day to day. Uh, the values at this level revolve around satisfying our basic needs like food, warmth, water, sex, and so on. 
sort of these periodic needs that are essential to, to really just staying alive. In terms of the psychology, we're, we don't really have a, a sense of self yet. Like if you look at a young baby, for example, who's just, their main thing is just about getting their basic needs met. There's actually been research that's shown that babies don't have a sense of self in the way that an adult does. They, they can't, they, they have their senses, they have the body, they have a little bit of mental functioning, depends on the age of the child, but there's no sense of self-referencing, there's no sense of self-identity. And this isn't in a spiritual sense, this is just in the most basic sense in terms of our basic functioning as a human being. We're also driven by our instincts and sort of animal-like brain systems. So again, it's, it's all to do with our basic survival and our basic needs. In terms of context, where do we see this in, in human life? We see this dominating in human societies that, um, for example, the first human societies that ever existed thousands of years ago, before farming existed, really when human beings just roamed the savannah, killing animals and looking after their, their basic needs, even before real tribes and art and community, really earlier than that. We're talking <laughs> really the, the very first human groups. Newborns, so you can see that, again, newborns don't have the sense of self. They're really, they're, their concern is just with, you know, <laughs> getting the nappy changed, getting food in their mouth, feelings of warmth and protection from the mother or father. You can see it in populations of humans that are st struggling to meet their basic needs. You know, they're in starvation or they're, um, they have some other threat to their basic needs that is, that really puts their survival at risk. Hunter-gatherer bands, as I mentioned, that's really what, that's really beige in a collective sense is, is humans that are struggling to survive in the most basic way. What are sort of some of the footprints of beige? Things like keeping the belly full, that's a basic preoccupation. Um, procreation for the sake of keeping the species going. Dependence on others. Living off the land. So it's a very basic survival stage. However, how do we healthfully integrate this in our lives? We all have beige within us. We have, you know, the, the, the brain systems that look after food and water and warmth and so on. We have the emotions associated with those. We have patterns in our life that revolve around beige or they are in their most basic form come from beige. Things like, it's interesting, Ken Wilber made this point about <laughs> America when he was talking about obesity in America, that that is in a way, it's a, we were not even meeting our beige needs in a functional way when we're obese, when we're not feeding ourselves properly because it's, it's a dysfunctional way of meeting beige. We're not actually attending to the body's needs where we are being overcome by those beige impulses for food and water and whatnot. And we're meeting them by putting poison into the body. So Kim Wilber's very scathing and talking about how we're not meeting these, the most fundamental needs, but in a way, right. Okay, so the second stage is called purple. And this is magical. Now, we can associate magical with Human societies are a little bit more advanced, sort of horticultural societies, tribal societies, um, third world countries. And the worldview at this stage is really important to understand why it's called magical. What you'll find at this level is that the worldview is about the world, is that the world is full of sacred objects and that 
inanimate objects or natural phenomena like trees and the rain and uh, rivers and so on have that we give them a human identity and we we see that there are gods in the trees there are gods in the river and we associate our sense of identity with those things and that we see that they sort of give us life. This sounds might sound a bit strange, but if you look at tribal cultures, this is what their belief system revolves around. Yet all of that is still centered on survival. So it's like the rain protects us and gives us water. The the sun nourishes us every day. And this is all it's all in a those things are certainly true, but it's all in a very sort of it's almost in a selfish way as if it looks after our clan and only our clan. And of course, that might sound a bit <laughs> abstract, but if you look at a baby, for example, or a young child, babies and young children do the same. They attribute life to things like cartoon characters and they confuse a cartoon character, which is just <laughs> the something created by a human being with a real live creature and they they sort of lack mm, they lack the sense of time and the sense of space and the sense of causality that we get when we continue to develop as as people the values at this stage revolve sort of around survival again if you look at tribal cultures they have a very they have a sense of loyalty to the clan, to the chief, to the ancestors, to the elders who pass on the wisdom down to them and they have a sense of reverence, which is something really, which is actually really beautiful. The The difficult part is that that can be limiting and also they often, they fail to see the, the relevance in the beliefs of other clans and so on. The psychology at this stage is magical thinking. So here we sort of confuse reality with our imagination. And this is, you know, this is a stage when children dress up and pretend they're superheroes and whatnot. It's like, it's, yeah, magical thinking. There's a, we're not sure where our real capacities end and where our imagination begins. And we're not sure about what forces in the world actually contain sort of a, their own individual life and what doesn't, which is why we attribute life to cartoon characters and rivers and trees and so on. The psychology is also very superstitious. So it's, it's ritualized. It's, um, there's a sort of lack of understanding of how life really works and it's attributing causality to things that don't really, that doesn't really make much sense. There's only a basic self-awareness here. So it's like in young children, they've still not really got a full sense of identity. They, there might be a basic sort of separation from the world and they might have a sense of object permanence that the world exists independently of them, which doesn't appear in babies, for example. But it's still, they don't really have a full adult identity and they don't identify in the way that fully grown adult would as a separate self. What's the context for this? So I've said tribes and horticultural societies tends to be, yeah, societies that depend on nature for, and really purely nature alone for their production and survival. And it goes beyond just hunting and gathering. We start, we sort of see a little bit of farming here, but not full-blown farming with um, plows and so on. That comes a bit later in the historical timeline. In young children, you can see this. Um, look out for the signs of magical thinking, the you know the superheroes and the 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 stories about. Uh, involving characters and the sort of confusion of life with magic. What are some of the footprints of this stage? Superstition, 
rituals, crystals and stones, the Virgin Mother as a religious symbol. I'm not going to go into all the details of why that is typical of the magical stage. But we can see in tribal societies that that came up and it was sort of as a result of a magical view of how of procreation. That's where the Virgin Mother comes from. Dances and dresses, basic art. So humans are beginning to express themselves, but it's, it's in a sort of basic magical way. What might a healthy integration of purple magic look like? Let me give you a little bit of an example of this. So sometimes when I'm looking up at the night sky, uh, when I go to see the stars, I sort of imagine myself as a, a tribesman in distant human history, wondering what life was all about. And this is beyond, this is before the times of science, before, before we even knew that Earth was a planet. What would these people think that life is? And it just opens up this sense of mystery that I really often lose touch with when I'm going about my day-to-day -day life. This is, I think, one of the things that embodies magical thinking. Because we don't have a, a really complicated worldview that involves like theories and um, we have sort of an innocent view of, of life, we're also more deeply connected to the mystery. And we can see this in in tribal in tribal societies and we tend to lose this as we become adults and as we go to school and learn about all the theories of the universe and so on it's good to revive this and to live even though we have all this knowledge and we've learned a lot and we know that the trees and the rivers and whatnot don't have a magical life of their own they do in a way and they do they don't in another way there's actually still a lot that we do not know as, as human beings. And actually, curiosity and not knowing are what make life delicious. And it takes us back to our basic humanness that we we tend to lose touch with. Another thing about purple magical that I think we can integrate consciously is sort of a an atemporal, primitive visceral sense of belonging to our family and to our our sense of our, our hometown and our, our country it's like those basic visceral ties from when we were children that go back to when our memories sort of fade into the into the the, the distance this is sort of a purple magic thing it, it's like the roots the roots of who we are and in our in a sort of social context and it has a very deep emotional resonance within us so that's just two ways that you can integrate purple magic in your life moving on to stage three and this is red impulsive now this is really associated in in terms of our individual lives this is associated with when we get a sense of self a sense of self that is separate from the world around us and it's also associated with the time where we start expressing anger and com combativeness, for example. The worldview at this level is that the world is a jungle full of threats and predators that I need to fight against. We value domination and manipulation and overcoming other people. And we our dominating system is to be aggressive and to be angry and to try and <laughs> uh, dominate other people essentially and we can see this in young children once they reach a certain age when they start developing the ability to be angry and to to fight back and to defend their own needs this is sort of the the roots of it sadly as well this also dominates in it dominates in groups of people as well. People like criminals and uh, people who can't live within society. I'd even say in travelers, this is quite a common. Um, this is quite a common level that is available in, in travelers. We can see this. They tend to be aggressive. They tend to 
they don't want to fit into society they want to just live mm, sort of from day to day selling drugs and whatnot that's maybe a a bit of a generalization when it comes to travelers but that's been my experience in empires and autocracies where society is a pretty dangerous place um, and there's warlords and there's there's always war going on there's people fighting for power all the time this a lot of the time is based on this red impulsive stage look out for this in poor areas you know in poor areas we often or poor suburbs for example areas of the city that are poor we there's often this sense of danger and of that you're going to be attacked in any moment and it's sort of like a red it's based on the red stage on like this it's you or me it's it's me <laughs> me versus you and only one of us is getting out alive kind of thing of course that doesn't mean that it's going to lead to fighting but this sense of danger and yeah it's based on red what are some of the footprints of red uh, and look out for this in yourself in other people and in society anger aggression crushing destroying blood wrath weapons anger and so on and just why this is a level in human psychology it's quite a long it's quite a long story to explain this but actually Part of what I, where I think it comes from is that when we realise that we are a separate person in our early childhood, it's a very scary moment. It's a scary realisation to have. And it's our own fear and our insecurity now becomes projected onto the world. And we start fighting against the world as a sort of coping mechanism for this, this sense of being this finite thing that is that has a, a lifespan before that doesn't exist at, at the beige and purple levels we don't have that sense of self red is when it comes online and i think this over this sort of inflated egoism comes from that the sense of threat that we now feel from having our sense of identity that said, I've, I've been quite negative about it, but what is a healthy integration of red? What, what does that look like? And actually, red is really important, and it's something that you do not want to repress for very good reasons. I think an, an, a healthy integration of red looks like the ability to impose ourselves when we need to. Often, for example, at stage green, we tend to reject red. We tend to reject egoism and looking after ourselves. Defending ourselves when necessary, if that's physical or if it's more verbal or psychological. The, the feeling of being wild and free and unrestrained and spontaneous in the moment, really not caring at all about what other people think. Um, of course, that can be, that can <laughs> be expressed in really unhealthy ways but it can be expressed in healthy ways too and at the next stage when we become civilized by blue that can go on, on that can go underground and we absorb we over absorb and we over mm, we we absorb too much the norms and the laws of society red is kind of a lawless stage can you connect with that sense of lawlessness within you? Not in a criminal sense, but in a more just, in a sense of like, I'm alive, I'm a human being, and I don't care. I don't, I don't care what other people think. What am I going to do? And that brought online at later levels. <clears throat> when we have become civilized and we have developed the, the sense of the moral sense of treating other people as we would like to be treated can help us tap into our beautiful of authenticity and tap into our unique mission in life, free of social programming, free of other people's expectations, and free of caring what other people think. 
Great. Moving on to stage four, uh, stage blue, and this is called purposeful. The worldview at this stage is really the polar opposite in a way from what, what was happening at stage three red. At this stage, our worldview sort of expands to a group that we're involved in. Um, for example, our country or our, our group of friends or our school, our community, our church, our spiritual group, for example. And we tend to, our worldview is that that group is the best thing possible. Our country is the greatest in the world. Our country is flawless. Our church group has the truth about religion and about life. And other groups do not have that. We tend to surrender our own red impulses to the higher authority, to this, this group that has certain rules for how to live life, whether they're written down or whether they're implicit in how the group works. We tend to see that there are two ways of living it, life. The way that we follow as part of our group, as part of our school, as part of our church organization, as part of our religious group, as part of our being a citizen of our country, an upright, noble citizen, and everyone else who does not follow those rules. Our values revolve around group identity, about tradition, about upholding the ways of how things are done, around structure, around being civilized and noble and upright and moral. And all that is in our conception of what those things mean. And we tend to be closed to other ways of doing that. Our psychology at this level looks like dichotomizing, filing everything into right and wrong, dogmatic. There's actually a... In spiral dynamics, they call it the rule role mind. So we, our identity is composed of the rules we follow and the roles that we play in life. And we feel a certain duty to, to live by those rules. And it, it's, it becomes like a moral burden for us. A very common emotion at this stage is guilt. And we should also realize that ourself is now sort of merged with the group and it's it's not so easy to differentiate ourselves from the group other people might look at us and think and see that we're a product of the group that we are part of and we can't see it when does this come up in our lives when i think back and this is also based on the research that i've done on, into this stuff adolescence is is or well maybe Mid to late childhood and adolescence is when this comes up. It's like we want to be good children. We try to follow what our friends are doing so that we fit in. And from the outside, we look like just a product of the fashions of our time and of the, the, the trends in our group. It's not like we, we have our own separate needs and values and likes and dislikes and so on and then we choose to belong to part of a group it's really that we adapt all of those things to belong and who we are in the group it starts to sort of blur a little bit we can see this in agrarian societies like very rigid um, societies where farming was the dominant way of um, survival this tends to be adopted this is when early religion came around or early religion in the sense of dogmatic religion that under the Ten Commandments or uh, the rule of the Quran and so on. We see it in early em empires and city-states which were very hierarchically ordered and the rigid, rigid gender roles and rigid castes and so on. Societies where individuals lack autom autonomy Fundamentalist societies run on, a lot of the time it's on blue principles. And God and Bible people who think that Christianity is the only way, the Bible holds the, the absolute truth for us and if we don't live by those rules we're going to end up in hell for all eternity. This is a very, this is 
this is what you want to look for. It's rigidity. It's about following the rules. It's about obedience to the authority and to the groups that I belong to. Look for collective symbols, so like flags and crosses and emblems. Look for guilt. Look for commandments. This is how things need to be done. And that doesn't need to be in a religious sense. That can just be in an organizational sense. Like, this is how we do things around here. And we're not changing it for anyone. That's sort of a hangover from blue. Can be a good thing, can also be a, a bad thing. Depends on the context. Look out for righteousness. Like, I once, I recently actually asked a family member what their experience of school was like. I don't know, we were talking about school and our experiences there. And she's an older member in the family. And she told me this was her first response and her only response to that question was, I did well at school. I was a good little girl. And when she said that to me, I, I realized that this blue stage is very active in her because that is her way of measuring her success in school no, not grades not enjoying school not making friends no being a good girl following the rules being obedient doing what you're told not <laughs> speaking when you're not spoken to that kind of thing that's a very strong footprint and it's like we get a sense of pride from following the rules at blue how can we integrate blue as i said i Sometimes I tend to talk about these earlier levels in a negative sense, and that's for a good reason, but it's also, it's also kind of, it skews the picture because we can healthily um, integrate each of these stages, including blue. I think one thing that blue gives us is this sense of belongingness. It's like this sense of our identity merging with a group, and that that is kind of diluted a little bit and this is like a very common criticism of social people who criticize society in the modern world is we've lost this sense of belongingness this sense of community because we're we've, we're all so individualistic we're too busy competing for the promotion and the the money and getting ahead of the the joneses and whatnot and it's very true and I'm not saying we need to regress to blue, but maybe we can become more community oriented. We can sacrifice for the community more and we can find a purpose that goes beyond our own needs. I'm saying this to myself as well because this is something I, I try to do every day with the Grey Updraft. It's like a desire to serve for the good of society, to do good and not to look out just be looking out for ourselves all the time that's a beautiful thing it's a really beautiful thing and we have you know we have lost touch with it we're in a sense in the modern world one of our issues is we're too busy exploiting other people to to do good and i'm not saying that in agrarian fundamentalist societies they're doing that but perhaps we can integrate that component and create a better world with all our technology with our with the modern world, can we bring that in? And can you bring it into your life? The other thing that Blue gives us in a very sort of basic way is the ability to conform and to be subversive and to live in society. Taking as an example, traveling people again, often they, they don't have Blue very, I can see that they don't have Blue laid down and that's why they struggle to conform. You know, they, they just don't want to. They've not lived within a system of blue like they've not went to school and followed the rules they've not you know they've not been given us a, a sense of discipline by the family for example and as modern human beings we need that we, we need to live within a legal system we need to follow the rules we need to pay our taxes otherwise we're just not going to be able to function so blue helps us tune in to where we are in the social in a social context and it helps us fit into that context great talking about the modern world i think the next stage stage five is really it really very well describes a lot of the modern world in a 
in many dimensions. Stage five is an individualistic stage. It's about achievement. It's about mm, strategizing. It's about being number one. That's what the <laughs> that's what our values revolve around at stage five. When does this come up? This it can come up sort of in late adolescence. It depends on your environment. It depends perhaps on your family. It depends on can depend on any number of factors but it tends to come up when we realize that we can make it in this world we can become rich we can earn <laughs> lots of money we can have a prestigious career and when that starts to become our motivating drives in life our psychology at this stage is it's independent we're independently minded we want to make things happen we want to we want to drive things forward. We want to be the linchpin. Entrepreneurial. We have a, we're motivated from the inside to go out and achieve things. We thrive on targets and goals. We are driven. We're driven to achievement. We're, we're willing to put the hours in. We're willing to <laughs> learn and we're willing to do what it takes to be successful. So our worldview at this stage is that the world is full of opportunities to prosper. You just need to work hard. You just need to know how to make money and you're going to become rich. The world is seen as a marketplace. It's like, and the world is seen as like a world of competition. If, if it's not, if they're not me, if they're not fighting for my cause, they're competition. They're, they're, they're an obstacle. And you can see this in the business world a lot. Also tends to accompany this stage is the idea that truth is observable. It's not found in our groups and what our groups lay down. The groups that we identify with. Our country, our religious group, our school, our friendship group. It's more that truth has been measured and observed by authorities and we follow those authorities so we tend to value things like science and objective truth we tend to reject dogma and um, unscientific ways of looking at the world in terms of the context of orange when did orange in a historical sense start coming online you can trace orange back quite a long way in human society, I'd even say that people like Marcus Aurelius in certain ways were, were orange because it was sort of rational, it's individualistic, it's about mm, it's about very practical advice for us if you've, if you've read the meditations by Marcus Aurelius. But really, you can see it in society and philosophy. The big explosion was the Enlightenment period which started to embody things like universal rights and the idea of rationally uh, finding truth. There was a lot of scientific discoveries in this time. And in modern democracies, when you look at countries like the US and the UK, Germany, Japan, and so on, countries that aren't run so much by religious dogma, but by the economy, by science, by... <laughs> modern technology these are sort of very rational orange countries individual freedom look out for individual freedom that's one of the, the good things about orange is that because we can see that our limited perspective that we held on to it blue is is quite a relative thing we don't take this relativist this relativism too far but we take it to the point where we say all right okay no maybe <laughs> maybe Christians aren't the only viable religious group in the world let's start letting uh, Islam exist let's start let, letting Buddhism be around we're not going to oppress these people and we can see this in things like uh, rights for black people rights for women rights for um, people with a different sexual orientation people with of different genders That's it opens the playing field up to other people not as green does but 
this, if you look back to the Enlightenment, for example, this is when laws started to change to a certain degree around, uh, you know, rights for minority groups and so on. It's not just uh, the rulers and the leaders and the 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 people who have a certain nationality that go that are going to have power and rights in the society. It's going to be a society for everyone, and we can see that in modern countries. Obviously, we're still growing towards that, but that's that is the sort of values that come online at, at Orange. What are the footprints of Orange then? Uh, some of these are going to be quite tongue in cheek, but uh, they're they're there. Money, growth, market economies, mm. <laughs> the modern look, you know, the suits and the, 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 the nice sunglasses and the slick haircut and the fast car. Very sort of orange driven look or image. Um, modern countries, modern laws, modern uh, science, rationality. This is all the footprints of orange. Things like be the best you can be, awaken the inner giant. That's a Tony Robbins book that I saw in her bookshop the other day, awaken the inner giant. It's in self-help, you can see it as like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be, it's sort of self-oriented self-help. It's about goal achievement and striving and becoming, wanting to become rich and wanting to reach your full potential but in a sort of reaching all your goals and becoming rich and becoming someone kind of way that's what reaching your full potential means at Orange what might a healthy integration look like and this is something that Green stage 6 we're going to cover on to that in a minute this is something that Green can struggle with just, just to point that out I think a healthy integration of orange looks like being good with money, being um, having a good career, being smart in business, getting shit done, being strategic, tapping into our individual freedom while also retaining the ability to fit into society. Um, rational thinking. These are all healthy, healthy ways to integrate orange. And if you don't integrate them, you might come across some issues. And so that's why I, I encourage healthy integration of all these levels, because each one provides us with something really, really important that if we want to be whole individuals in the modern world, we ought to integrate as many as we can. Great, let's move on to stage six. Our orange life starts to fall apart, basically. We start to question the idea of achieving for ourselves, of, of reaching all our goals, of materialism, of striving to be rich and <laughs> have social status and whatnot. And we start to become more sensitive. In terms of our psychology, we become more empathetic. And we start, instead of wanting just to improve ourselves, we start looking out to the world and we start becoming angry at all the injustice in the world we start developing an allergy to things like hierarchy and ranking and division and um this person's better than that person and this group has no rights these things start to really grate on us at green we value things like equality and inclusion social justice peace and love diversity for its own sake and so on and this is really active this is really starting to become active in the west some might say in a dysfunctional way but hey that's just the trajectory trajectory we're on what's our worldview at this stage an important part of it is that truth is relative so it's not just science tells us the truth or rationality is is the is what we need if we want to find truth we start to see that all of that is relative to sort of modern democracies in the modern world and that other cultures at other points in history had their own truths and we want to start reviving those 
and we tend to sort of reject it's not just that we relativize it's also we tend to actually reject orange type truth and we start going back to those earlier levels and um trying to revive them in ourselves but also trying to see the world through that lens we also tend to see that life is about love and belonging rather than striving and competing and trying to be number one we tend to think say things like if only we could all love each other the world would be amazing if only all humans lived in harmony the john lennon song imagine is like one of the things that i recommend people do when they learn about stage green is that they listen to imagine by john lennon because in there you can see a lot of the green the motives of green and these are great values. It's a great worldview to have, but is it really realistic? I would say <laughs> very unrealistic. Not in all countries, but in many countries, it's simply unrealistic right now. We see green in, especially in the most advanced countries, like the Scandinavian countries. We see it in other countries like Germany, UK, the US, yeah, in perhaps in places like California and Boulder, in sort of the, you know, the liberal leaning states and cities in America. We can see it in the middle class and university educated people in Google who are all about diversion and inclusion. We see it in like modern social justice, which many people have criticized for verging into blue absolutism but it sort of comes from green even if it's perhaps getting dysfunctional according to some people um look for themes of love and inclusion and diversity we can see it in sort of hippies and spiritual groups that have those characteristics tend to be quite green some of the footprints so what are some of the characteristics of green that we might see Things like sensitive communication, hugs and warm introductions, minimalism, simple clothes, cuddling strangers, crystals and incense and candles. These things are sort of the footprints of green. And I've talked in other videos about the good side and the bad side of green. But I just want to touch quickly on how we might helpfully integrate green. I think a really good thing about green is that it's a, we get this desire to really do good for the world. We start truly going beyond selfish motives or purely selfish motives. We also see the delusions of orange, like the delusions of materialism, of being a millionaire, of achieving for ourselves, of getting ever more money and success seeing that this really isn't what life is about. And that can actually bring a bit of a crisis, but it's also a really crucial, in terms of our individual growth, it's crucial. And also in just in terms of human society moving forward, it's crucial that we move beyond orange at some point. And this, to me, is like the, the point where we can really tap into the deeper dimensions of, of being human. It's actually the bridge between what's called the first tier stages, which are stages one to six, and the second tier stages, which are we're going to talk about in just a moment. I think that's a good place to lead into the second tier. So what's this about first tier and second tier? Basically, if you look at the first tier stages, they're all about deficiency and lack. It's, it's about gaining for myself or it's about overcoming other people or it's about persecuting others because they don't belong to my group or it's about it's about seeing deficiency in life and combating it in some way whether it's deficiency out there if it is deficiency in here and if you look at the context in which the these stages appear you can see that for example in a historical point of view they come up in societies that they don't have everything together. They, they don't have equality or they don't have material success or they don't have their basic needs met or they don't have structure and lawless uh, and lawfulness. And 
that sort of resonates with the psychology and worldview and values. It's like these two things complement each other. In a very fundamental way, each first tier level is monoperspectival. It can only see the world from their own perspective. And this becomes obvious when we move into second tier in our growth. Claire Graves actually said that at first tier, we're not really human. He didn't, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm just taking what he said and <laughs> describing it in a different way. But this is essentially what he said. We're not fully human. We're dominated by an animal-like needs. And he called the jump to second tier a monumental leap in meaning. If you don't know who Claire Graves is, he's he created a theory that underlines a lot of the theory that we're looking at today. We can also look at the jump from first tier to second tier as a shift from scarcity to abundance motivation. Let's listen to Claire Graves. He says, quote, The A-N state, which is his name for stage seven, which is yellow, the first stage in second tier, develops when man has resolved the basic human fears, when man's need for respect of self as well as others reorganizes and revitalizes his capacities to do and to know. The seventh level of human behavior is actually the beginning of human life all over again on a new and different basis, end quote. So let's look at this first, second tier level then. This is called yellow integrative. And it's going to be difficult in a way if you're not in that world, if you don't read books by people at this level, or if you don't listen to podcasts who by people who embody this level, it's going to be hard to point this out to you because it's not very common right now. Where does this appear? It appears in the most developed countries. It's certainly active in Europe and America right now, not on a huge level, but all the people that I know who embody it, most of them are from those countries. The middle class or even above, people who have been through orange, have been through green, and now on that basis they can start to build a yellow identity. Spiritual leaders often embody yellow and even beyond. The worldview at yellow is much different to the worldviews at, <laughs> at the previous levels. Here we see that the world is multi-layered, that people are multi-dimensional. We start valuing connected big picture views as opposed to our, our little perspective on the world that has to be right and the other people and the People who don't hold that view are enemies. That's basically what first tier is all about. We let go of that and we see things from a much bigger point of view. We can see the evolution in the world. We can see that evolution runs everything and that evolution has brought us to where we are in our yellow, in our yellow consciousness. What do we value here? Yellow is more individualistic than collective, but we value self-expression without harming other people. We value the magnificence of life over having and doing. We value knowledge and competency rather than rank and power. So it's individualistic, but it's quite tempered. And actually we use our, our, our goals here are really to use our, or to put to use our own drives and our own our own strengths to the good of the world. Not in the green way, which is kind of about feeling good and about helping the downtrodden and the needy. It's not always about that. It's about specializing in an area of life and seeing how we can improve that in a systematic long-term way. We value the long-term good of the world. We value all and self, not just the self, or not just everyone else. We value everyone and we value ourselves. The psychology at this level is very different as well. It's, we flow among the earlier levels. So we're not just identified with our own little level here, our own stage of development. 
we can actually flex and flow between them all, which is why I, I encourage it so much. We, Claire Graves noted a, a big falling away of compulsion and anxiety at this level. So it's a huge dropping away of fear. And it's sort of like a stepping into life in all of its glory and in all of its misery. We can adapt, adapt ourselves better to life circumstances. Obviously, this isn't going to be perfect, but at more than any other previous stage, because we're not locked into the perspective and the behavior and the values from any of those previous stages. Some of the footprints of yellow, if you're going to try and look for yellow out there or in yourself, look for complex and nuanced thinking that doesn't jump to conclusions based on a limited perspective. This is very, <laughs> obviously being perfect at this isn't <laughs> easy or even maybe even possible, but notice just for a big, a much bigger, a much bigger view, a much more complex and nuanced view of things. A focus on solutions rather than politics and manipulation. So Yale is very practical minded, doesn't want to get, it doesn't care about aggrandizing the self. It doesn't care about titles and status. It cares about getting things done and getting things done well for the good of others and for the good and for my own good, not in a compulsive way either. Also, big footprint is multi-perspectivalness. I've talked about this in my video on stage yellow. Yellow can see different perspectives. So it's not going to get lost in green's idealism. It's not going to get lost in orange's obsession with growth and rationality and so on. It's going to see that all of these things have their limitation and they have their benefit and they need to be healthily in integrated. And we need to be able to see the world from each of those points of view at different points in time. None of them are false entirely, but none of them are true entirely either. It's all about context. And those are some of the footprints that you can look for at Yelp. Great. Let's move on to the final stage that we're going to cover today, which is stage eight, stage turquoise. And this is a second stage in second tier. At this stage, and I'm going to try to speak from experience, I'm not sure I can really, but Yellow sees the world as systems and it sees the world as being interconnected, causally in interconnected. The worldview at Turquoise goes a bit further than that. We actually were starting to see that life is one giant interconnected mind, but beyond systems. It's really going, <laughs> we're really seeing the essence of life in everything as everything. We're seeing that life is a lag, that everything is, is holistically connected, not just systemat not just systemically. We're starting to see that wisdom drives living systems and that everything is delic delicately interconnected in ways that we can't really understand fully and that we have to sort of trust and live and breathe rather than trying to understand mentally. The values at this level involve finding the order beneath the chaos. Yellow is much more about looking at complexity and looking at how things work in a very sort of mechanical way, I would say. Here we, at Turquoise, we sort of respect the holistic wisdom rather than the holistic wisdom behind things, rather than all the details and the complex you know, all the complex parts working together. It's really more about the holistic wisdom that is behind everything. We deeply integrate emotion with knowledge. We value both emotions and knowledge and bring them together. And we value a more embodied, holistic understanding of things. We value addressing global problems. The psychology that at Turquoise looks like an inner resonance with all first tier levels. So at Yellow, although there is much more, there's a deeper integration of all first tier levels than ever before, it's still a bit heady and it's a bit 
like, oh yeah, I understand, I intellectually understand that level. I intellectually understand what it must be like to be that person. At Turquoise, it goes much deeper and it's more like I can actually live all of the levels at once in my being and I can feel into them. I can embody all those levels. I can be present with all of them. And it's a much deeper appreciation for why all of those levels exist within us. The context in which this appears, <laughs> the most advanced countries, um, spiritual leaders sometimes, thought leaders, mm, people who are on the cutting edge of mm, spirituality, of politics, of um, values development and so on. It's really difficult to find them, but you can find them. It's just you need to know what you're looking for. The footprints are about seeing holistic wisdom, about deep resonance, about a new emotional, it's sort of a fusion of the emotional and the rational in a very profound way. It's a respect for all forms of wisdom all tied together and all sort of filtered down into this lovely, holistic, um, wise, wise way of viewing and of living life and of embodying everything that's come before in our own development. I just want to say at Turquoise, there's, there's really not a lot of data. So the, the descriptions I've given might seem a bit, you know, a bit, a bit threadbare, a bit like, mm, you could have given me more information. I know, but it's, I'd, I'm not sure I embody much of turquoise and we have a long way to go before we see turquoise emerging on a broad scale and before we really get it, before it really before it really impacts human society you could say the same about yellow as well in a way so look for it in your own growth and look for it out there but realise that it might be quite scarce great, I think that's a good point to wrap up, so if you want to look at each of these levels in further detail, I have a series of free articles talking about each of them on the website. I'll link to those in the description, totally free. I have also, have a, if you want to go even deeper, I have an eight hour course on the stages of human development, which actually goes even beyond uh, turquoise. Sign up to the GU members area for that. I'll leave a link in the description. And actually I include many more theories than just spiral dynamics in that course. Let me know if there are any in insights that you can add to my ideas. Let me know in the comments what other insights you have. And do subscribe for more personal development content. And also don't forget to come over to thegreatupdraft.com and check out what I've got there. Thanks for sticking with me and I'll see you around.